uh, I do want to I do want to go to the Word of the Lord and read some things and talk about it tonight. Very, very, very familiar passage of Scripture. The first two verses. This is what it said. Paul speaking to the church at Rome, and he said, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God." Everybody say the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If I'm not mistaken, that Scripture is inscribed on the front of this church. It may be behind one of those bushes now, but I think that Scripture was one of my dad's favorites, and that Scripture, I think that's the one that's on the front of this church. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about what God wants. You may be seated. Those of you who are standing, thank you for honoring the Word of the Lord. And uh, let's, just, let's just talk about it in depth here this evening. There's a sign nailed to the wall of a convent in California that says no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, signed by the Sisters of Mercy. Well, God's not like that, and there's no sign like that on this church nor in heaven. I want to tell you that the mercies of God are very real. And I was thinking today and trying to get ready for this service tonight. It's been a long day for me already, but I was thinking driving down the road, coming from Shreveport today, of the mercies of God, the things that I owe God because of His mercy. And you know this, and I don't have to remind you, but none of us would be in this building tonight if it were not for the mercies of God. Amen? The mercies of God are, are absolutely incredible and beyond sometime our comprehension. But Paul said, I beseech you. That means when he said that, he said, I urge you. I plead with you. I encourage you. I beg you. If you go look that word beseech up, you'll find all of these definitions. He said, in view of, I beseech you. I beg you in view of the mercies of God. Now, why would, would you give God what he wants? Why would you give God what he wants? Let me ask that question tonight. You won't until you understand why you, will, you, will, you won't do what you're supposed to do until you understand the mercies of God. Until you understand, it, it won't really matter to you until you understand how great God's been in your life and how awesome God is in the things that we live every day. There's many facets of God's mercy in our lives. There's many, many areas. There's many, mercies is a plural word, by the way. So it's not one mercy, it's many mercies. When you talk about the mercies of God, you could go to, to Psalms 51 where David prayed a prayer of repentance and he talked about tender mercies, tender in Psalms 89, it talked about, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, a plural word. In Psalms 106 and verse 45, it said, 
the multitude of his mercies. That means a whole lot of mercy. And I don't know about you, but I need a whole lot of mercy. Amen. And then in Isaiah 54, it talks about great mercies. And in Isaiah 55, it talks about the sure mercies of David. There are many scriptures in the Bible that talk about the many facets of God's mercies, the things that God does for us on a daily basis. We get up by the mercies of God. We go to bed by the mercies of God. We work a job by the mercies of God. Everything that we do, we're at the mercy of God. It is only because of God's mercy that we're breathing and we're moving and we're thinking and we're here to worship on a Wednesday night. He has many mercies that are available to us. And I want to tell you, you better be glad tonight. Uh, there's a scripture that I've, I've preached from many, many times, and it's found in Psalms 103. And uh, I can tell you what I've, I've preached from that particular passage of scripture in verses 11 and 12. Not what you deserve, but what you need. Because the Bible said, as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. The Bible said, he hath not dealt with us according to our iniquities, nor rewarded us according to our sin, but he has had mercy on us. He didn't deal with us by what we deserve. He dealt with us by what we, what we are given to him or from him by his love and by his mercy. How do you measure that kind of mercy? How high does it go? How far does it go? It's infinite. Somebody say that with me. It's infinite. As the heaven is high above the earth, the Bible said, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. There is a way to measure God's mercy in measurable measurements. And if you want to know how that is, just go look at the cross because where the vertical meets the horizontal, it's a cross, and right in the middle is mercy, friend. That's the mercies of God at its greatest depth and its greatest height. Are you happy for the cross tonight? Amen. So in view of or because of, David said, or excuse me, Paul said, because of, by the mercies of God. That's why. I beseech you because of the mercies of God. I beseech you in light of the mercies of God. I'm just taking this scripture for what it's worth. He said, by the mercies of God. Don't serve God because of his judgment. You know, there's a lot of folks that serve God just because they're afraid of going to hell. And here's what I believe. Jude said that we save some pulling them out of the fire. What Jude said. But I want to, I want to submit to you what I I believe, and this, this is from a long time in the church. Raised, born, lived in. Next Monday, I'll be 70 years old. And so I know a little bit about Pentecost. I know a little bit. I've been preaching 52 years. I know a little bit about what's happening here. And I want to tell you, I've never seen anybody live for God successfully that was just afraid. 
you can get scared to an altar. Hey, we, we used to be able to preach on hell and the altars fill up before you get through. You, you, you could, my dad could preach hell so hot you could smell the smoke, feel the fire. And brother, there wouldn't be a dry eye or an empty pew. People aren't scared anymore. They don't have much fear of God anymore. But I want to tell you, nobody can come to God by fear and live for God by fear. You will live for God when you fall in love with him. You will live for God not because you're afraid of hell, but because you love Jesus Christ. Am I right? So you could come that way. You can't serve God because of his judgments. Serve him because of his mercies. Serve him because you fell in love with him. Not because you're scared of hell, but because you're thrilled about going to heaven. Amen. On a, on a, on a Sunday many years ago, right here in this church, I preached on a Sunday morning. There really is a hell, and I don't want to go there. But I came back on Sunday night, and I preached there really is a heaven, and I want to go there. I believe there is both, but I'm going to tell you what motivates me more than missing hell is to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and to worship him throughout eternity around the throne of God. Amen. So once you understand why you would consider giving God what he wants, here's what God wants. The why is because of the mercy. Here's what God wants. Here's what he said. Present your bodies, not just your spirit for an hour on Sunday, but your everyday life, your body, every minute you live. He said, present your body a living sacrifice. I'll tell you the problem with living sacrifices. You want to know what the problem is with living sacrifices? They can crawl off the altar. And sometimes we crawl off the altar because we don't like sacrifice. Romans 12 and 1 in the Message Bible said it this way. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Now that's in the Message Bible. That's what it said. The very scripture that I read to you in the King James Version a few minutes ago, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we, we owe God these, these bodies. Now, I don't, I don't like to get too deep in that because we'll fool around and get around to gluttony and we'll all be in trouble. But this is why the Bible said your body, everybody say my body, is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible said not to defile the temple. Amen? So whether you like it or not, it's a fleshly body where God lives in and where he dwells in, and we make up the church, but it's our bodies that make up the church. See, the Bible never says don't smoke marbles. Just not in there. The Bible never says don't drink Budweiser or Crown Royal. 
Don't get quiet on me. It don't say that. Well, where's that at in the Bible? It don't say that. But I'll tell you what it does say. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And so you shouldn't do anything that would defile your body. Amen? Am I getting any help around here tonight? He said a living sacrifice, and the next word he used was holy. Now, I could spend the rest of this hour talking about holy. Holy means set apart. Holy means separated. Holy means sanctified. The Lord expects the church to be holy. Not holy according to man's calculation, but holy according to God's calculation. And let me tell you, holiness is more than looks. I am. Holiness is more than what you see. Holiness begins in here. You can wash up the outside. I'll tell you what Jesus said about, about the Pharisees. He said, you look good. You're like whited sepulchers on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You can look the part, but if you've got malice and hatred and covetousness and envy and strife and you're a thief and a liar, You really ain't holy. I know that's not right English, but I said it. So here's what the Bible said about 2 Corinthians 6, 17 in the message version. Read this with me. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. He said, I want you to present your body a living sacrifice, and the first thing I want you to do is be holy. I want you to be holy. And let me tell you something. Holiness comes through prayer life. Holiness comes through living by the Word of God. Holiness doesn't come by how you fix your hair. Holiness doesn't come by how long you wear your dress. Because let me tell you, I went to a graduation service the other day, and a valedictorian gave the, gave the, the commencement speech or whatever you want to talk, the valedictorian speech, and, and you could see nothing but her eyeballs. He was covered up from head to toe. Had one of those scarves on. All was showing was right here. I'm serious. And I punched my wife. I said, is she holy? Because if she is, a bunch of ours is in trouble. But that's not what God's talking about. He's talking about when you get on your knees and you get the Holy Ghost and the only thing that will make you holy is the Holy Ghost. But when you get the Holy Ghost, things will start changing. You'll change the way you talk, change the way you live, change where you go, change your friends, change your dress, change your, your lifestyle because that's what holiness really is. That's why Paul said, if any, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold. Everybody say, behold. Come on, shout it loud. Behold. He said, behold. That means look and see. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. You can see holiness in somebody's life. 
but it's manifest not just in dress, but in lifestyle, in speech, in attitude. Hallelujah. Well, shall we move on? This is what God wants, a living sacrifice. Taking your everyday ordinary life and placing it before God as an offering. And then he said, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be separated. I want you to be sanctified. Amen. And then he said, the word acceptable unto God. Acceptable means God's idea of holiness and not yours. Look, I've been around long enough to let, let me tell you something. I've heard everything preached on from the radio to the color red to shoes with no toes in them. I, 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 I've been around a while. I've, I've heard it all. I have. I'm not joking. I mean, I, you name it, I guarantee you I've heard it. And I've heard it preached that way. I laugh, I, and I tell this story often. Uh, my dad's pastor, Brother J. Roll Wiedner, was such a great man of God, but he, he, get, he cackled when he lagged. It was, it was a cackle. And he would, he would be, he was preaching for me, as a matter of fact, and he got, to, he got to telling about when he was just a young preacher. And, you know, young preachers used to go, none of y'all, this won't even relate to some of you. You don't even know what's going on. They used to go to fellowship meetings, and, and the harder you could preach, brother, better it got. It was, you know, one fellow turned to the other one night, and he said, you believe in that old deodorant, don't you? And he said, yeah, and you don't. Everybody ought to believe in that and soap and water, by the way. That's about the cheapest thing you can buy. <laughs> I didn't quit preaching with the metal in here. But but back back in the day, the harder you preach it, the I mean, boy, that they thought that was really preaching. We used to call that camp meeting preaching. You couldn't get a, a rise out of the crowd. You can go do that right now. I can do that. I can go down there and get that crowd on their feet in 30 seconds. All I gotta do is just get on a few little issues. But see, that's man's idea. Brother Wiener used to say he preached one night or one day till till he ran out of stuff to preach, and he looked down, and the old boy on the front row had a pair of white shoes on, and he said, I just started preaching against white shoes, and he said, now I have some. That's not, that, and, and he laughed at his own self, but it's good that we can do that. But let me tell you something. It's not, it's not the judgment of men. And here's what we've lived for and lived to so many times. We live by the judgment of people. Let me tell you who the ultimate judge is. It's the almighty God. It doesn't matter. And if you've got a judgmental spirit, you need to get rid of it because you need holiness in your life, and you can't do it with a judgmental spirit. Well, they're not going to heaven like that. You don't know. The gates hadn't been opened yet, and you don't know who's going to be there and who's not, but I can tell you one thing. With a bad attitude, you ain't going to be. I don't know what all is going to say tonight. I got a few notes here, but I'm just doing what I feel like I need to do. 
acceptable unto God. You know what Proverbs said, the wise men wrote in Proverbs 21 and 3, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. To do justice and judgment, justice before God, that's acceptable unto God. He just wants you to bring your offering to him your body as a living sacrifice, your holiness in the spirit of, of, of meekness and kindness, not a judgmental spirit. And he wants to accept who you are because of his mercies toward men. Amen. And then he said, this is your reasonable service. That word reasonable means rational, intelligent, logical service. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind, does it? How in the world can it be reasonable for you to offer your body a living sacrifice on an altar, holy and acceptable unto God? Because here's why. You ready for this? Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. A carnal man can't understand spiritual things. You hear me? The Bible said the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God and neither indeed can be. So the reasonableness unto God will, will make sense. It will make sense when you get in God's mind and God's thought. What, let, let me go a little further because here's what the Bible said in that second verse. It said, uh, be not conformed unto this world. The world's way is conformity. And I want you to remember what I'm telling you right now. You see, when, when people say, well, I can't conform to that. You're exactly right. You can't. Well, I, I don't want to live that way. I, I don't want to have that much dedication. I don't, I don't want to live my life that committed. I, I, I don't believe you have to do that. And so I can't conform to that. You're exactly right. You can't. In fact, no one can because conforming is not God's process. Conforming is the world's process. And God's process goes further. It's transforming because when you get transformed, then you will conform to God. But you can't just conform. I'm going to tell my, my illustration again, and you'll remember this. Go get you a hog, pig, whatever you want to. Take him in, put him in your bathtub, wash him up, get you some good smelling soap, wash him clean. Don't leave a, 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 an ounce of dirt or mud on him. Clean him up, and then when you get through, Put some perfume up there behind his little ears and put your little ribbon in his hair and take him outside and let him go. You know where he's going? Does anybody know where he's going? He's going back to the hog pen because you conformed him, but you didn't transform him. You could take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. You can take Lot's wife out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of Lot's wife. That's why she died on the side of a mountain. 
Because conformity is the world's way. That's why the Bible said, be not conformed to this world. The world or the word conformed in that verse means to mold one thing into the shape of another. To mold one thing into the shape of another. It refers to things that are temporary and unstable. And the word could not be used of inward change, only outward change. My point is this. You can be conformed to something, but you can't be conformed to God. You have to be transformed. And when you get transformed by the power of God, it will change your mind and you will be conformed to his word. Amen. Romans 12 and 2 said this, don't, in, in the New Living Testament, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. One translation really says, don't let the world put you into its mold. That's why we have to be careful as Christians. Y'all are in trouble. My, my clock's not up here. Amen. But don't copy the world. Don't be don't be pulled and grafted into the world's form. Don't let the world make your decisions. Don't let the world put you in its mold. This is what we're fighting on a daily basis. I could preach an hour right here because let me tell you something. All that's happening in your school, all that's happening in our universities, all that's happening in our society is the world is trying to mold us into something they want us to be. They're trying to conform us. They're trying to make us believe it's all right. They're trying to make us believe everything's good. Everything's okay because everybody's doing it now. I want to tell you it makes no difference if everybody's doing it. What makes a difference is what's in the word of God. You can't conform, conform to the way of the world and be molded into what they want you to be. Romans 12 and 2 and 1 translation said do not model your behavior, behavior on the contemporary world. This is not anything new. Be not conformed. Don't be molded. Don't, don't let them shape you. Don't let them. We, we were talking about what's happening right here in, in the school system in Washtenaw Parish. One person, one person. You've seen it in the news. One person complained that they were praying at school board meetings. And now there's a big deal. Can we pray? Oh, I said, well, how can one person stop it? I said, because years ago, it became the law of the land. And so people just have kept doing it. But when somebody rises up, well, guess what? Here comes the ACLU. Here comes all these groups that, that want to stop what's happening. Years ago. They tried to stop prayer in the school right here in West Monroe. You may or may not remember this. This church had big old pins made up. Said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to pray. And we went to the ball games, and we handed those dudes out. And when they said they said we couldn't pray, I want to tell you, the whole stadium started saying the Lord's Prayer, and Christian life was right up in the middle of that. Because I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what the world says. It's what God says. You can't be conformed to this world. Somebody shout amen. Here's what, here's what Paul said. But be ye transformed by 
the renewing of your mind. The word transformed in this verse means this, to undergo a complete change or metamorphosis. It refers to a process of the spirit that results in permanent change to character and conduct. And this word is not used of mere outward change, but real inward change that shows itself on the outside. We sing a song around here that said, I've got Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Y'all remember that song? That's called the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost starts working on the inside, not the outside. You're just washing the pig up if you're working on, the, working on the outside only. But here's what transformation is. It's literally changing your way of thinking. As a matter of fact, one version of Romans 12 and 2 said, be changed within by a new way of thinking. Another version, well, the Message Bible said, you'll be changed from the inside out. That's what the Message Bible said. So when you're transformed, it's going to God in repentance, and what repentance is is turning your life around. If you're going this way, you repent, and you start going this way. Amen? You, start running, you, you quit running from God, and you start running to God. That's repentance. True repentance is saying, Lord, I'm sorry, and leaving it there and not going back and picking it up. The world can transform you or can't transform you. The world can only conform you. But God can transform you. That's why the world is full of, of these self-proclaimed uh, individuals that are identical in the way they think and the way they act, and, and it becomes their, their modus operandi. And so they're afraid to be the least bit different. They want everybody to be in a mold. They want to, and when somebody kicks out of the mold, boy, the, the world just goes crazy. Well, I, 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 you know, and they, they can't stand it for Christians to stand up. I, I was listening. I, I don't post hardly anything on two Facebook, uh, but every. <laughs> Every once in a while, I will. But I read something, I heard something yesterday, and it was a, I don't know who she was, but she, somebody was asking questions in some type of forum, and they asked her how when people come into your church and they're, they're transgender or they're homosexual, or how do you handle that? Man, the answer was fabulous. I started to post it, and I thought, you know what? I just don't want to. I don't want to fight with 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 people on on public to Facebook. So, I, I, but I read that, and I thought, you know what? That's the best answer I've heard. Matter of fact, I sent it to my kids, and I said, this is the best answer I've heard because here's what the lady said: the Bible tells us to love everybody, and we do love everybody. We love every sinner that walks in this church, regardless of their status in life. Amen. But love is telling the truth. Love is not condoning what people do. Real love, if you love your kids, you'll correct them when they're wrong. Come on now. 
And and she went into this long explanation about what love really is. And love is giving people the truth of God. And the truth of God is that God frowns on that. And the truth of God is that righteousness is not that lifestyle. That's unrighteousness. And and she went into an explanation. I thought, man, matter of fact, I I threatened to pull it off there and just play it on Sunday because it was so good. And everybody needs to hear it. But here's the deal. They They can't transform you. They can only conform you. But when you get Jesus in here, it it all takes a different light. By the same token, you can't belong to a church by just conforming. I've already said that. You have to be transformed. The real church is not conforming church. The real church is church that has repented of their sins, been buried in water in the name of Jesus Christ, and been baptized with the power of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the other. That's the way you got in the New Testament church, in the Bible, and that's the way you still have to get in the church. Anybody believe that? So unless you're transformed, you will never be a real Christian. I don't like it, somebody said, I don't like it when they insist that everybody worship and everybody pray and everybody give. I don't like it when the church demands a lifestyle commitment. I can't conform to that. No, because it comes to people who have a transformed spirit. How do, you, how do you know what transformation is? I just said it a moment ago. Repentance is so powerful. Repentance God loves. And, and, and I don't believe repentance is a one-time thing. As a matter of fact, you're looking at a guy that believes in repentance every day. I do. I repent every day. Now, you can think bad of me. You can say whatever you want to, but I repent every day. You know why? Because I'm constantly dealing with this flesh. Sometimes I get a bad thought, and I just have to repent over it. Sometimes I want to punch somebody in the nose, and I want to repent over it. I'm serious. I was driving down. I left the eye doctor on Friday, driving down Forsyth Avenue, Went right under the Oliver Road red light, minding my own business. And this lady decided she needed to cross and turn, and she pulled out in front of me. I didn't have time to do anything. And she messed up my 2022 limited Ford F-150 to the tune of about $7,300. And what I wanted to do, (laughs) I didn't do. So I called the cop, and I I just stayed right there. I got out, and I walked over, and I said, Ma'am, you okay? She'd already pulled over. She's driving Cadillac. She said, Well, I'm hurting my shoulder and my neck a little bit. I said, well, cop be here in a minute. You tell him about it. I could tell she wasn't hurt. She thought it was my fault, I guess. She was already hurting. <laughs> this is a true story. I'm not joking. So I couldn't move my truck because the fender was up on the wheel, and I finally dug a crowbar out of the back of my truck. You know, us rednecks, we carry that kind of stuff. And... Uh, so I dug out my crowbar and I pulled my fender off my tire. 
and uh, I got it to where I could move it, and the cop said, just pull it over here, sir, so I did. He's in there writing. He's got my license and her license, and he's writing and, and doing whatever he's supposed to be doing, and I'm sitting there, and I, I flash a picture of my truck, and then I flash a picture of her car, and she come over there, and she was about, I don't know, she's probably late 20s, and she said, uh, now, I'm going to need your insurance and your phone because you hit me. I said, I did hit you, but I'm riding down the road minding my own business. See, I like to have to repent a whole bunch. I said, let's let the policeman decide. He'll, he'll tell us what to do, because I knew. And when he got out, he said to her, and I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but this is all repentance. Because I'm, I'm kind of like the old boy that I told you about not long ago that was out trying to crank his lawnmower. You know, the preacher that was trying to crank his lawnmower, and the, the next-door neighbor came over there and tried said, Preacher, you want me to crank that lawnmower? He said, yeah, if you know how, please do. And he pulled a couple of times, and, and it didn't crank, and he kicked it about 10 feet and cursed it real good and pulled it one time, and it cranked. And the preacher said, well, I guess you just have to cut. No, the guy said, he said, uh, preacher, sometimes you just got to cuss these things, and they'll crank. He said, yeah, out loud, too. That's kind of where I was at. But the cop gets out of the car, and she said, now I'm going to need his insurance and all because he hit me. She said, ma'am, he did hit you, but he had to ride away. And uh, I, I want to tell you that I left before I had to do more repenting because the cop looked at me. And he said, sir, I have all your information. If you need to leave, you're free to go because he saw what was coming, and she was highly upset with me. But, you know, I, every day, every day, there are situations in your life. You get mad at your kids and say the wrong thing. You can even get mad at your spouse and say the wrong thing under your breath. See, I've been married 51 years. I know about this kind of stuff. But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Repentance is beautiful because it can erase what's going on in your life on a daily basis. I don't know how, how great you believe in the blood of Jesus Christ, but I believe one drop is an atoning touch that will remove everything out of your life. To change, brothers and sisters, there's got to be repentance in your life. And furthermore, you got to change the way you think behind everything. Listen to this. Behind everything you do is a thought. Behind everything, every sin begins right here between your ears. Every problem begins right here. It all begins, every behavior is motivated by a thought and a belief. And every action is prompted by an attitude or a thought or a belief. It comes from right here. So here's what we've got to do. The Bible said that you have to bring every thought into captivity. And to do that, you have to live a repentant lifestyle. And that's the only way that you can remain holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the only way. Hmm. Proverbs 4.23 in one translation said, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful. 
Ephesians 4.23 in the New Living Testament said, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. Philippians 2 and 5 said, think the way, the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Paul said, let, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. I read something my mother put on, on Facebook the other day about thinking, thinking the right things. You know, the Bible, you know what the Bible said? Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report. Think on these things. Think on these things. Don't think about being judgmental. Don't think about being, being bad to your neighbor. Don't think about what everybody's done wrong to you. There's two parts to the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ. Number one, you've got to stop thinking immature, selfish thoughts. Amen. Stop thinking like children. The NIV, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, the NIV said, I'm, it's, it may be up here in the NIV. I don't know. But here's what it said. Stop thinking like children in regard to evil be infants, but in your thinking be adults. That's pretty powerful stuff. Romans 8 and 5, one translation said, those who live following their sinful selves think only about things that their sinful selves want. Start thinking. Number one, stop thinking by immature thoughts and start thinking about selfless things. Like 1 Corinthians 13 that says love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't, it doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grow. Doesn't or takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back but keeps going to the end. That's the love chapter of the Bible in the message translation. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 11 in the NIV, Paul said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I put that away from me. Why? Because you got to transform your thoughts. you got to transform your mind. Let this mind be transformed. The Bible said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. you got to get the mind of God if you're going to be pleasing to God and accept and for God to have an acceptable sacrifice that you lay before him. You can't come to God haughty. You can't come to God with an attitude. You can't come to God with pride. You have to come to God as a mere sinner and say, Lord, I am nothing but you are everything. And so touch me today and let me be what you want me to be. Spiritual growth is the process. Listen, it's the process of replacing lies with truth. Spiritual growth is the process of replacing lies with truth. I'm closing. Many of our troubles occur because we base our choices on unreliable authorities. Did you hear me? Many of our troubles occur because we base our choices on unreliable authorities. What authorities? Culture. Everybody's doing it, so I'll do it. That's a bad way to make a choice. Tradition. Well, we've always done it this way. 
traditions, some of them are okay. Some of them aren't worth 15 cents. Amen. Tradition won't save you. Jesus got all over those Pharisees. He said, you know what you guys are doing? You're teaching traditions. You're teaching traditions, the doctrine of men, for the doctrine of men. You, in other words, you shouldn't be teaching what you're teaching because that's just a tradition. Some traditions are good. Paul told Timothy, keep the tradition. Those traditions are good. Here's another, here's another thing that we base our, our choices on, reason. It just seems logical. Let me tell you about God. He is not logical. He's never been logical. Who would build a boat to save eight people and all the animals? Who would send Naaman down to old nasty, muddy Jordan River to get his leprosy healed? God's not reasonable. Are you listening? God's not reasonable. And I'll tell you something else we base our choices on, and it's, it's an unreliable authority, and it's called emotion. Well, it just feels right. Well, if it just feels right to your flesh, it probably is not right. It's kind of like dieting. Have you ever come to the realization that nothing is good that's good for you? Now, you're looking at a guy that knows. By the way, I've lost 19 pounds in 30 days. So I know I hadn't been eating, and I love cookies, and I love, man, let me tell you something. Whew. I wheel Earlene by and get her a, one of those things, a custard she can stand at night. I can't. My Lord. Last night I said, just give me one lick of that. Give me one bite of that. Just wet my whistler a little bit. I don't know of anything that's good that is good for you. Why in the name of God do you have to eat broccoli and squash? And See, some of y'all like that stuff. Give me potatoes and a ribeye steak and a pecan pie, Sister Judy, that you sent over there Sunday, and I had to eat a piece. Sure was good, though. Can't deal by emotions or reason or tradition or culture. All four of those things are flawed by man, by the fall of man. And they're reasonable in our minds, but they're not reasonable to God. What we need for the perfect standard is the Word of God. We got to go back and conform to the Word of God. We got to be transformed by the, the Word of God through repentance, through transformation, through an experience, replacing your thoughts with God's thoughts. Let me tell you, it's amazing what happens to mankind when he really gets transformed in the Holy Ghost because all of a sudden you just don't think what you used to think. And things that used to be unreasonable are not unreasonable anymore. Things that used to be good are all of a sudden bad. And things that used to be bad are all of a sudden good. Because you're transformed by the power of God. Lord, here's what I want. I want what you want. I want what God wants. There's none of us perfect. There's none of us that have made it yet. But if you want to make it, here's what Jesus put in his book.
He told us what he wanted. Paul wrote it in his epistle when he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg you, by the mercies of God, multiple mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that good and acceptable, acceptable and perfect will of God? Shall we stand?